So one of the things we, I want to do before we do that is how many of you have ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? Anybody ever in this game? Okay. Well, as we get going tonight, uh, I want to do a little quick variation of that game, okay? And so what I'm going to do is, not yet, soup, but what, uh, in a minute, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a couple of questions on the screen, and so it's going to be a statement, and if you believe that statement is true, then I want you to stand up. If you think it's a lie, I want you to stay seated, okay? So if you think the statement is true, what do you do? Okay, and if you think it's a lie, what do you do? Okay, there you go, okay. All right, does that make sense? Give me a thumbs up. Okay, we're going to get the blood pumping a little bit, okay? All right, first question. Febreze was originally called stink no more. Okay, do you believe it's true? Stand up. Okay, all right. Okay. All right, five, four, ten. Okay, all right, final votes. Answer is false. It was actually, it was originally marketed as, what was it? Uh, Funk Be Gone. Okay. So if you want to be cool, go home and spray some, like, whoa, what is this Funk Be Gone stuff? Okay, there you go. All right. You guys get this? Okay, number two. The average person laughs 13 times a day. Stand if you believe it's true. Okay. Five, four, three, two. Answer's locked. And it is true. I'm not going to ask if you're above average or below average. Okay? All right. Next question. Walk the plank is an expression that originated in the Bible. True or false? True or false? Really? Nobody's going to pick true? All right. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Lock, answer's locked. Answer is false. You guys were like, is this a trick? And you were right. Okay, I think I have two more. Next one. The original Rubik's Cube weighed over 1,200 pounds and was the size of a small car. True or false? True or false? No. Shh, true or false? All right, five, four, three. All right, answer's locked. Answer is true. Could you imagine trying to solve that before you had to get to work? Thank you. All right, last one. Bubble wrap was originally designed to be 3D wallpaper. True or false? All right, five, four, three, okay. Answer's locked. Current answer is true. 
true. See, I, I have so many questions about that. Like, could you imagine going to someone's house and you just see that on their wall and you're like, what is that? All right. So, how many of you, how many of you thought that was easy? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you thought that was hard? Okay. All right. Okay. Well, so here's, here's the reality. Here's why, here's why something like that can be hard. Because lies often look indistinguishable from the truth. This is why something like that can be hard, because it was hard to know what was true and what was a lie. Like, unless you were absolutely certain you knew what was true, you had no way of knowing if it was a lie or not, right? Like, unless you absolutely knew that bubble wrap was indeed used originally designed for, you know, wallpaper, it's just you kind of take an educated guess, right? Because the reality is, lies can often look indistinguishable from truth, or in other words, they can look the same. And so last week, like I mentioned, this semester, we are going to be working through a series called Lenses, where each week, we are going to look at a different lie that the world wants us to believe, and then we're going to look at what the Bible actually says about those lies, with the purpose of developing a biblical lens, or how we can see the world through what the Bible says. And so we're going to dig into truth to learn how we can kind of rebuke some of these lies. Okay, so the first lie that we're going to look at tonight is this. I won't fall for lies. I'll be fine. The first lie that we're going to look at tonight is I won't fall for lies. I'll be fine. And so maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor Nick, that's for people who don't know truth. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'm okay. I I know this stuff. Well, the reality is, If you think, well, that's for people who don't know truth, I'll be fine. If you think that, then chances are you're already on a slippery slope. Because if you think, well, that won't happen to me, let me be honest with you, you're wrong. If you think that's not going to happen to you, you're wrong. And we're going to look into God's word, and I'm going to help you see what I mean by that. So... Take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. So basically, open your Bible to the very beginning and turn like two pages until you find Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go to the very beginning of humanity. Okay? All right, if you need help finding Genesis, just ask a, a leader, raise your hand, we'll make sure. Okay? It's on page two. There you go. All right. Give me a thumbs up if you're there. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. So let's focus in. So when God, this is back in the beginning of humanity, when God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, So uh, God created Adam, the very first human, and this is what God told Adam. Look at verse 15, starting at verse 15, okay? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so here were God's instructions to Adam. God's instructions to Adam were this. Take care of what I've created and protect it. And that still applies for us. We are called to care for and protect God's given gifts. And so first, God said, take care of what I've created. Take care of my creation. And then he says, eat freely from any tree in the garden. Eat free of any tree in the garden. And so the word freely here, it means to devour, to consume. And so God says, any tree that you see, enjoy it. Enjoy anything that you see, except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God said, you may eat freely, consume, devour any tree in the garden. It's all for the taking, except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God clearly laid out his instructions to Adam. And so after this, God says that it's no good for man to be alone, so he put Adam to sleep. He took one of his ribs and he used it to form Eve, okay? And so we have Adam and Eve, and they became one flesh, unified in marriage. And so you have Adam and Eve, they were unashamed. There was no sin, nothing to hide. There was wholeness, perfection. Adam and Eve in the garden, no shame, no sin, no brokenness. Everything was perfect. What a beautiful picture, right? No sin, no hurt. There was perfect unity in marriage and relationship, perfect relationship with God. Everything was picture perfect. It's often maybe what we wish our world was like today, not knowing sin or brokenness or hurt. Well, this beautiful picture is about to be destroyed. And so turn over now to chapter 3. Okay, Turn to chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 1. Okay, So Genesis 3, verse 1. <clears throat> now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the, tr of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were unclothed. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves clothes. So let's, let's kind of process this whole passage here a little bit, okay? So who, who do we meet in verse 1? Who enters the scene? You see in verse 1, who enters, Jason? Right. 
Okay, so at this point, it just says serpent, okay? All right, so we're going to stick with serpent. But because we have the entire Bible, we know that the serpent is actually Satan because there are a number of other references throughout the Bible that look back to this and refer to the serpent as Satan. So the, the text here says serpent. However, we know that this is indeed Satan. Okay. So, we know Satan's here in the serpent. So, what does Satan say? What does he say to Adam and Eve? And you can look right here in the passage. Yeah. Yeah? Very good. What else? What does he say towards the beginning, Nate? Right. Good. What else? Yeah. Yeah, notice notice how he says, did God really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? What an interesting phrase that he uses there. Did God really say, and your translation might say actually, did God actually say this? Did he say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Well, what is he actually implying here? What, what's, what's the reason behind this question? Let's kind of think about this and, and dig into this. Why is he asking this question? Did God actually say you can't eat from any tree? Any thoughts or ideas? What? Why? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you might be causing Eve to rethink what God told her. What else? I mean, what? Why? What's the point of this question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's trying to persuade them, maybe trick them. Good. What else? Other thoughts? What, what's, the, what's the meaning behind the question? What's, what's really happening? Any other ideas? So really behind this question, he's getting at, can you trust God? Did God actually say this? Did he really say that you can't eat of any tree? What he's really implying is, can you trust God? Did he actually say that? And we see Satan was trying to confuse Eve about what God said. He was causing Eve to doubt who he is and his word. He's trying to cause Eve to doubt God. And let me ask you this. Okay, I'm going to push you here a little bit. What do you notice about how he asks this question. So again, look at that question. Is there anything that you notice about how he asks this question? Okay. And this is, this is a deep question, but I'm just pushing you here a little bit. What about this question is intriguing? Or any, any observations here? Yeah. Okay. Maybe there's a sense of mockery. Like, did God act? I mean, we don't really know the tone, so we can't really read into that too much, but... Maybe there's a sense of mockery here. Did God actually say that? Right? Good? Other thoughts? Yeah, Gabby? Right? He never actually said that exact thing. Yeah? 
Yeah, right? Again, there's confusion here, trying to make them, you know, feel like, what is happening right now? Jason? Right. So you notice how he says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Can you really not eat from any tree? But what did God actually say back in Genesis chapter 2 that we just read? Right. Yeah. So the serpent says, did God actually say you can't eat from any tree? But God said, no. Eat freely of any tree except this one tree. So rather than focusing on just the one tree, God's saying, eat of any tree, but don't eat from this one. And then Satan comes along and says, did God really say you can't eat it from any tree? And so what is intriguing here is there's a little bit of truth behind what Satan is saying. Because there was a tree they were not supposed to eat from, but the serpent says, any tree? So you notice how there's actually a little truth behind what he's saying. God says you can eat from any tree except this tree. And the serpent says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? And we see here, Satan is twisting truth. He's twisting what God said, almost as if to make it sound true. He's twisting what God said in a way to make it seem like that's what he said. So then, how does Eve respond in verses 2 and 3? So going from there, what do you see in verse 2 and 3? How does he respond? How does he respond? Okay, so what is different about what she said versus what the serpent said versus what God said? What do you see? What's different about what she just said here back to what God actually said? Did God say anything about touching the fruit? What do you think? Anybody give me an idea? Jason? God never specifically said anything about touching the fruit. So now... All of a sudden, Eve is already confused about what God said. And notice too, so first, she's kind of adding on and kind of getting confused about what God said. Because she adds this little phrase, neither shall we touch it. But notice how she doesn't even mention the tree by its name. Because back in Genesis 2, God said, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... And then what Eve said is the tree in the midst of the garden. So e even the name here is being changed. There, there's some lost translation. And so think about this. What do you see happening? What do you see happening here? Yeah. She's changing what God said. What else? Other thoughts? What's happening here in this progression? Yeah. Yeah, right? She's changing what God said. Any other thoughts? I mean, what, what's happening? 
Yeah, right? I mean, she's clearly having some sort of trouble because she's already confused about what he told her to do. And so what we see happening here is Eve is losing sight of truth. She's being deceived. She's distorting, changing, and even adding on to what God said. So Eve is becoming confused about what God said to the point where she's even changing it. And so what does Satan say next? You won't die. In fact, you'll become like God. You won't die. You'll actually become like God. See how he's just really crafty here in what he's saying? Yeah? Yeah, right? We see the sense of, you know, manipulating her, confusion. And so when Eve saw that it was good for food, there was a desire to the eyes, and that she would in turn be like God, she took the fruit. And when it says that Eve saw that it was good, the word saw here means to consider, to deduct, to perceive. So it's not just just her eyes seeing it. There was this much deeper sense of she considered what she saw, she was processing, and then she perceived that it was good. So when she perceived that it was good for food, there was a desire to the eyes, and then it would lead her to become like God, then she ate the fruit. And so side note here, everyone thinks that this was an apple, uh, this imagery of an apple has kind of you know, been you know, unraveling over the years, we don't really know what the fruit was. Like, it doesn't specifically say apple. So just kind of a side note here, we, we kind of tend to think about an apple, but it doesn't say. We don't really know what the fruit is. So it's a mystery to me. Just a side note. So let me ask you this. In this whole conversation, where, bless you, where was Adam? Where was Adam? What do you see here? Adam was right next to Eve. He was right there with her, watching all of this go down. And so the word with here in verse 6, it gives the connotation that he was right there next to her, right there beside her. I don't see anything specific in here, so that's that's a, a mystery. So, Daniel? Maybe. I don't know. That's another conversation for a different day. But, good thought. Okay. So, Adam was right there with her. He wasn't way off somewhere far away. The Bible here gives us the indication that he was right there next to her. And so, Adam... He didn't correct Eve when she confused what God said. He didn't try to stop her from eating it. He didn't remind her of who God is or what they've seen him do. Adam didn't even say a word when this was all going down. And he stood by watching this. And we see Adam willingly abandoning his responsibility to care and protect. 
the very instructions that God gave to him. And so he watched instead of speaking up and taking action. He watched. And then what happens afterwards? Their eyes were opened and they became self-aware. And there was now shame and brokenness. There was separation from God. And then how do they respond? Verse 8, they hid themselves because they were aware of the separation. The world had changed. There was shame. Separation. And so then, look down a little bit to verse 12. What does Adam do in verse 12? When God approaches them, what does Adam do? He blames it on Eve. And then, what does Eve do? So Adam blames Eve. Eve, she blames the serpent, right? Like, it's like that I meme mean from the office where they're all like, no, no, it was you, it was you, it was you, right? They're all blaming each other here. But the reality is, Eve was deceived. I'm trying not to rhyme there. Eve was deceived when she sinned. In her mind, she thought what she was doing was good. But see, friends, that's what lies do. They convince us that what we are about to do, what we're doing, is good. And 1 Timothy 2.14 actually says, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but it was the woman who was deceived, and sin was the result. And now that doesn't mean that we blame Eve and say, Well, it was your fault. Because Adam was just as guilty, and in fact, maybe more so, because he was right there watching all of this go down. And so the reality is, they bought into the lies and were confused and deceived to believe something that God didn't say. And there's, there's a whole lot that we could talk about here in this passage. And so, what do we learn about truth and lies? Well, here are a few things. Number one, inaction is still a choice and it has consequences. Because Adam stood by and he didn't do anything. And look at what happened. No matter what, inaction still is a choice and it has consequences. Adam's like, I'm not doing anything. But it still has consequences. Number two, if you do not know, recognize, and follow the voice of God, in other words, for us now, his word, if you don't know, recognize, and follow his voice, you will listen to lies. Because Adam and Eve fell for the lie because they didn't recall what God said. If you don't know God's word, if you don't know what he said, then you will listen to the lies. Because if you don't know what is true, how in the world are you going to know if something is a lie? And then number three, Satan will stop at nothing and use every trick in the book, every bait in the tackle box to keep us from abiding with God. Satan will do anything and everything he can to try to trick us. Which includes trying to get us to doubt God. Right? One of Satan's go-to strategies 
is to cause doubt in our lives. Did God actually say that? Did God really say he would be there for you? Did God really say he loves you? Did God really do that for you? Is God there really with you when you're struggling? And the reality is, our culture today might try to applaud when we doubt God. That's okay, that's fine. But that couldn't be farther from the truth because God wants us to trust him. God wants us to trust him. And so, here's how a lie, generally speaking, works. In light of this, here's how a lie happens. It starts with us not knowing what is true. And then we start to become confused and have a distorted or an incomplete view of that truth. And friends, let me make this known. A half-truth is not truth. If something is half-true, it's not true. It's not, well, that's true enough. No, that's still a lie. Number three, the lie becomes enticing to our flesh, our eyes, and our mind. And we call this a temptation. The lie is enticing. Hmm. That seems like something that I can buy into and believe. And then from there, we're faced with a choice. Do we believe the lie or do we reject the lie? And then number five, we either deal with the consequences if it's a bad choice or if we stand for truth, if we stand for God's word, then we get to enjoy a blessing. And so here's the reality. If you are not on the lookout for lies, you will fall for them guaranteed. If you are not actively looking out for the lies that our world wants us to believe, you will fall for them. Guaranteed. If you're not actively aware, you'll fall for them. And so here's the truth. We must know truth. God's word. If you want to be able to know and recognize the lies and not be convinced and deceived, then you must know God's word in order to know if something is a lie or not. Because if you just kind of hope that something is true, it's probably not. Because the best way to identify lies is to know the truth. And let me just add on to this. Why can it be so hard to distinguish the truth from the lies? Why can it be so hard to understand what's true and what's a lie. Well, let me give you a whole bunch of reasons. Number one, sinning is in our DNA. Romans 5 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. Sinning is in our DNA. And you know what? That includes lying. Each and every one of us in this room have lied, and if we don't resist our flesh... We will continue to lie. Number three, people twist what is true and what's a lie. And then sin makes us feel good. And then lies can make us become captive. And on top of that, there are a lot of people seeking to deceive us. And if truth is even just a little warped, we still believe it. If it's just a little off, we think, that's eh, good enough. But a 99.9999% truth is still not truth. And then we think, you know what, lies don't have consequences. You know what, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to hurt anything. 
But we see here that it had serious consequences. And those are just the first eight reasons that I could come up with. And so not only are we battling ourselves and sin, we also have this adversary actively trying to destroy us. And 1 Peter 5 says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so not only if all these things are true, Satan is also on the prowl seeking to devour us, to trick us, deceive us. Because Satan wants us to believe the lies. And Jesus actually says in John chapter 8 that he's the father of lies. Satan does not have your best interest in mind. Because he wants us to say, did God really say that? And so friends, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And what I mean by that is if you don't build your life on a firm foundation, it's going to crumble. Because if you're not actively standing for something, God, in his word, you're going to fall for the lies. And I don't want to see you fall for the lies. I don't want to see you be deceived, believing things that were never true. Because the lies that we so easily believe are, I'm not good enough. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't love me. Those are lies. God does love you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. God cares about you. He doesn't want you to just be anxious and fearful forever. He wants to do work in your life. And so if you're not standing for truth, you're going to fall for the lies. And we don't want you to fall for the lies. I've seen so many students over the years believe the lies, and it leads them down a path that just doesn't end well. And we want to take this semester to clear up some of these lies so you can know what God's word actually says so you don't believe them. And so as we prepare to transition to small groups here in a second, I want you to think about this question. Just think about this. What will you stand for? Will you stand for God's word? Or are you going to build a foundation on lies? What will you stand for? Who will you stand for? Because we're all building a foundation. It's a matter of if that foundation is going to last or if it's going to fall. And I promise you, following God's word will always be the best decision. Following God's word will always be the best decision. Guaranteed. Always. And Satan will want us to believe, you know what? Is God's word really the best thing for me? Did God really say that? Did God really want me to not do that? Friends, we have to know God's word so we don't fall prey to the lies. And we don't want to see you do that. And that's why we take time to study the Bible, to study God's word. And I would encourage you to sign up for the retreat when the registration comes out because we're going to spend a lot of time that day talking about what does God actually say about anxiety? Where does anxiety come from? Can we do anything about anxiety? Are we supposed to just live with it? 
And it's going to be, it's going to be um, a day filled with some reflection, some deep Bible study, and we're going to really press into, are we meant to just live anxiously forever? Is that God's plan for us? Following God's word will always be the best decision, guaranteed. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity for us to dive into your word. God, I pray that each and every one of us would seek to stand on your word, that we would not fall prey to the lies, God. Help us to look to you. Help us to trust in you. God, help us to be continually seeking after your word so that way we know what is true and that we wouldn't buy into the lies because lies lead to death and destruction, but your truth leads to life abundantly, life to the full. God, I pray that we would take time tonight to really wrestle with that. And maybe even tonight would be the night that we would commit to say, you know what, I'm going to know God's word. I'm going to take more time to study your word. I want to know you. Because we believe that the Bible is living and active, and it is your very breath given to us. And so God, help us to know your word and to not fall into the traps of Satan. I pray that you would go before us in small groups, and I pray that our discussion would be honoring and pleasing to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.